Hey everybody, welcome back to Giant Talk, the world's first OKR podcast, brought to you alongside the awesome guys at Coan, the dedicated OKR software platform. Um, I'm delighted to have Yannick Bernstein joining me today um, from Australia, and we're going to be discussing um, basically why OKRs aren't a performance management tool, and you know, sitting naturally alongside that, why culture is so important for getting OKRs right. So going to be a really fascinating discussion today. Thanks for joining us, Yannib. Thank you very much. Glad to be here. Great to have you with us. Um, if you could start just by telling the listeners, I suppose, you know, a little bit about your background and who Airtasker are, what they do, and, and you know, your role there. Sure. So I'm the Chief Operating Officer at Airtasker. Um, and prior to that, I was the uh, VP of Engineering here at Airtasker. And before that, I had a 10-year career at Google as a software engineer and uh, an engineering leader there. So Airtasker is Australia's leading task marketplace. Uh, and we're an eight-year-old company uh, that have been operating in Australia that entire time. And uh, you know, our, our mission is to empower people to realize the full value of their skills. The uh, way we see it is we are creating work opportunities for people while uh, allowing you to get a really wide range of different jobs done around the house, online, or in your local neighbourhood. Uh, more recently, we've expanded to the UK and also Ireland, uh, and are planning to continue to expand into more countries. Interesting. So have you seen um, a, a huge surge in uptake, I suppose, during COVID, whilst you know people might have been furloughed and things like that? It's actually been interesting. So I think in the initial... Uh, sort of lockdown period because a majority of our work is done in person. Uh, there was actually a little bit of a, a reduction, but one of the wonderful things about being a kind of an open marketplace uh, is that we can very much, without even having to do anything, the marketplace responds to what's happening around around us in the world. So while some things uh, we saw a big reduction in, there were other areas where there was actually quite a big increase um, for example, there was a lot more work uh, around the house in terms of people getting home offices set up or upgrading their, their TV situation because there was a lot more time spent at home watching Netflix. Um, so we've actually right. had a really nice recovery. Um, so, yeah, it's just been interesting watching things adapt in that way. That's really cool. So um, tell me what it's been like moving from, you know, VP of engineering to COO then. So, yeah, I mean... In a lot of ways, I see the role as being somewhat similar, but just in a in a broader stage. So we, uh, our engineering team had 50 people in it, um, or can still has 50 people in it, and uh, you know, so I saw that very much as my role to be an organisational leader. And as you mentioned, we're going to be talking a bit about culture today. So, uh, you know, I think at that level, uh, the job is to create culture and to clear obstacles and allow your team to be really high performing uh, and so that was my job in engineering for a couple of years and now I see that I'd like to bring that together across all of our different functions in the company uh, and help the entire organization work together as a, as a functioning unit so you know it's definitely been a change but in a way I feel like it's an expansion rather than a, a total change of role. Sure yeah I understand that. So, um, you know, the, the listeners will be used to me asking you when you first came across OKRs, but 
I guess as an ex-Googler, that, that question answers itself, does it? It does, yeah. So <laughs> I guess, yeah, I joined Google in 2006 and, and that was when I first encountered OKRs and I've yeah, been using them ever since. Okay, so you guys use them pretty heavily at Airtasker, do you? We do. Okay, can you tell a big difference in the way they use the Airtasker compared to how they were being used at Google? Uh, so I think primarily it was simply a case of when I joined Airtasker, we had less experience with OKRs. And right. one of the things about OKRs, I think, is they are deceptively simple, right? They They seem like a very straightforward thing, but actually there's a lot that needs to go into doing them well. And I yeah, think that is a, a learning process for a company. And so I think, you know, where while Google, even in 2006, had been using them for a number of years, um, Airtasker has really adopted them around the time I joined. And you could sort of see that there was a, a lot more of a struggle with how to effectively deploy them. Okay. And have you seen that um, positively change in the few years you've been there? Yeah, I absolutely have. I think there's been a lot of progress. And in fact, you know, one of the things I'm working on now as the COO is to continue to make progress. I think there's actually such a, a broad spectrum from doing them really poorly to doing them amazingly well. And I mm. think there's always room for improvement. So I think, you know, over two years, we've seen continuous improvement to the point where they are, have been really valuable. But we still see where some of the the sore points are where it gets a little bit difficult for teams. And, mm -hmm. you know, I, I say that as part of my job, that we set things up in a way that OKRs really are able to reach their completely full potential. Absolutely. And, you know, I think you should always be striving for that. Whether it's possible to hit it or not, I'm, I'm not too sure, to be honest, with OKRs, because I think, uh, like you say, it should be an ever-evolving process, right? That's right. Well, I'll let you know in a few years if it's possible to hit it. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> Definitely plenty of work to be done. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I think people have to be open to that going into the OKR process as well. You know, they're not just going to be able to set the process once and have it run forever. There's got to be a period of reflect and review, uh, you know, every quarter Absolutely. or every six months or so. Yes, yes, I agree. So as we mentioned then in the intro, we're going to be talking really about why culture is so important. Um, why do you think that culture has to be on point within an organization before OKRs can be implemented effectively? Yeah, so in my view, it's less that it has to be right before OKRs are implemented, but rather that if as an organization you are committing to OKRs, you actually need to understand that you are committing alongside that to not just a process journey, but also a cultural journey. Um, you know, I often think of, of process and culture in an organization as being like, respectively being the bones and the muscles. Uh, the processes right. kind of provide the skeleton, but the culture is what animates that skeleton. And each is useless without the other. Um, and of course, the stronger your culture is, then the, the stronger the, the results. And so I think, you know, one of the, one of the mistakes that organizations can make when adopting processes or frameworks of any sort, and this is, I think, very common with OKRs, um, is that they adopt the process and assume that they will simply receive the benefit of that process. Um, but actually, the culture needs to align. And I think in the case of OKRs, um, you know, they form an effective skeleton 
for an organization that is oriented towards outcomes rather than outputs, uh, embraces, you know, uh, the inevitability of uncertainty in what they do, uh, that make extensive use of data and that grant significant autonomy at the team level. Uh, A lot of companies or organizations, uh, you know, don't work that way. And if OKRs are simply bolted onto that organization without actually progressing the culture in a way that's aligned with OKRs and that mismatch will simply make them ineffective. Yeah, I completely agree with that. And I've not heard that analogy before of process being the skeleton and culture being the muscles, but I I really like it and I completely agree with it. Um, So you mentioned in there that, you know, OKRs are kind of deceptively simple, but, you know, really hard to get right. Hence why I have a job, I suppose. Uh, as an OKR consultant. (laughs) Um, Can you just explain to the listeners, you know, what you mean by that? What is it that people are getting wrong? Yeah, so I think, you know, it's it's related to my previous answer, which is people focus on on the artifact. And the artifact is so simple. You have one objective and one or more measurable key results. And what could really be easier than that? Uh, But the, the interesting thing to me is that to achieve that deliverable, those OKRs, um, it's less about the final artifact and more about the organizational and strategic clarity that is demanded by the process in order to achieve good quality OKRs at the end. So, you know, for example, to know what your objective is and to have a meaningful and high fidelity way of measuring progress towards it is actually an incredible amount of labor. It means, first of all, you have to have a well defined strategy, clearly communicated across the company. Um, with clear priorities and alignment across the organization. Uh, It means you need to have a significant capability in data collection and interpretation. Uh, It also means you need to have trust and alignment across many different areas of the company. Uh, Mm. So those are all the ingredients, and each of those uh, are, in fact, the real work of OKRs. And, you know, in a sense, if you have all those things, the OKRs come out the other end quite straightforwardly, um, but if you don't, then you're not going to have good OKRs. And, and so for me, really, in a lot of ways, the point of having good OKRs is as much or even more about uh, the journey than the destination, right? Mm-hmm. So like by the time you've done all those things that are necessary to formulate good OKRs, you've done so many good things for your organization already that you can benefit from. And the, the actual final act of creating the OKRs is certainly valuable, uh, but it's nearly the the icing on the cake because because of all that groundwork. Yeah, I, I completely agree, actually. That's a really nice way of putting it. And I think often the mistake that people make is thinking that OKRs are going to be some sort of magic bullet to provide everything else that you described before there. And it's not the case. You've got to get those things right to make the OKRs work realistically. Yeah, it's sort of an inversion of causality. And I think that's sort of the theme that goes through all of this, right? Is that it's 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 a type of magical thinking where where there's this temptation where there are problems in how an organization operates to adopt something like OKRs and assume it will solve the problem. Whereas mm-hmm. in fact it is by solving the problems that you're able to use OKRs. But what OKRs can be is a, a really valuable forcing function where if you say we are going to go into the journey through the journey of being able to use OKRs effectively. Uh, that transformation happens, 
right? Mm-hmm. And so that's that's incredibly valuable. But you know, there's no shortcutting the work that has to go into that. No, absolutely. And OKRs almost allow the continuation of that work in a simpler framework process. Um, Precisely. Koan is a purpose-built solution for managing your OKRs, helping your teams achieve their objectives, getting them aligned, and absolutely helping them stay engaged. Sharing spreadsheets simply doesn't scale when you're trying to grow a business. With Koan, you can scale OKRs across your entire company, whilst keeping the teams motivated and moving in the right direction. Now, Lawrence, there's lots of things we love about Koan, but tell me one of yours. So I've got to say one of my favorite things is that Koan just allows you to have a bit of fun with the OKR process. Yeah. Um, in, in series two, I think it was episode three of this podcast, we actually <laughs> spent about half an hour, 40 minutes talking about the importance of making OKRs fun for your team. Yeah. Um, and, and Koan allows you to do that perfectly. Yeah, you know, even just things like adding a, a gift to to your reflections adds some real personality. And I think I probably waste far too much time each week looking for the perfect gift, to be honest. But <laughs> it, it allows that fun throughout the organisation, and that's something that's really important if you're going to keep people engaged. You are known for having the best gifts. Thank you in, very much. In the team, definitely. <laughs> so, if you would like to find out more about how to make OKRs fun. Uh, whilst using a great system, then pop along to uh, koan, that's K-O-A-N dot co forward slash giants, where you'll find also a great paper that we co-wrote with them on how to build accountability and collaboration using OKRs. So have you have you seen any problems occur due to like lack of communication of strategy or failure to, to onboard the teams um, when implementing OKRs? Yeah, um, absolutely. So I think there are a number of things that can go wrong. So firstly, if if the teams don't... So so a team's OKRs are only, and, and this seems trite, but uh, is easily missed, is only as good as the objectives and the key results. Uh, yeah. It's quite easy to come up with a set of objectives and to come up with a set of key results and maybe even to hit them. But there's a sort of very strong effect of garbage in and garbage out. So if you don't know what your objectives should be, then you will choose the wrong ones. And then hitting the wrong objectives doesn't actually bring the organization to where it needs to be. Um, Another phenomenon I've seen is um, ignoring objectives altogether, where you basically, the way a, a team comes up with their OKRs is they come up with a sort of laundry list of key results, which in many cases are more like deliverables, and then they kind of cluster them. They, they say these key results seem thematically similar and then they slap a label onto them sort of after the fact as the objective. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, the thought, like the actual, the, the real crux of OKRs is in the, the O's and not the KRs. Uh, they obviously work together as a system, but uh, taking the time to really think about your objectives is actually the, the more important of the two, in my view. Hmm. I, I agree with you. And I've seen people go through that process as well of, um, oh, well, this is stuff that we've got measures for, so we'll just measure this. Um, uh, let's group them together, slap a label on it, instead of going through the process of thinking, actually, we need an objective that's you know an initiative that's going to move the needles on our strategy points. Okay, great. 
we've got that. Now let's start thinking about the key results. How are we going to measure the success of that initiative? And it's important that you go in that order. Yeah, that, that's right. And I think you're getting at um, this idea that if you have an existing way of working and you adopt OKRs as a framework, perhaps because it seems like a, a fresh coat of paint, but you basically apply your own way, your old way of doing it, OKRs can superficially accommodate that quite well. So, you know, I think your example is probably uh, an organization that has been running through KPIs and yep. they just sort of convert those KPIs into OKRs. Uh, another example is a com- is an organization that runs more along the lines of a roadmap with a series of deliverables. And then they turn mm-hmm. those each deliverable effectively into a key result. So you see a set of key results like, you know, launch this, launch that, uh, you know, achieve this yeah. output. Um, but there's no sense of actually measuring success. No. And so, no. so that's the thing. I think OKRs, they're nearly like, uh, they're sometimes referred to as a framework, but they're not even a framework because a framework implies that you have this sort of full tool chain at your disposal, whereas OKRs are really a, they're a way of thinking, right? And then you need to build your own yeah. framework around that to make sure that you come up uh, with the that's, right thing at the end. That's absolutely correct. And that's how off, how we often describe ourselves to um, you know potential clients, actually, is that OKRs are just a collection of principles, really. Um, yes. You know, things like accountability, things like transparency, things like autonomy, you know, they're, they're principles that people want to obtain and achieve within their business. Um, there's mm-hmm. no one correct way of doing them. And, you know, we often say our job is to help you interpret those principles and apply them in the most impactful way to your business. Um, you're right. It, there, there isn't one set framework, which is fundamentally why they're so difficult to get right, I think, in, in individual businesses. Yeah, I, I agree. And and actually, I, I reflected on even at my time at Google, where, you know, it's, as you mentioned, along with Intel earlier on, sort of held up as a an example of, you know, one of the big champions of OKRs. Yeah, I actually saw that, you know, as an organization that was very diverse in the types of work it was doing, um, there were challenges. So, mm. you know, I think... OKRs initially at Google, you know, Google was a search engine company and search engines have some fairly well-specified metrics uh, yeah. around what what effectiveness looks like. It can be, you know, you want to say, oh, okay, all results should be returned within half a second. And then you can talk about how accurate and how relevant the results need to be and things like that. And so in a way, uh, that's a fairly... Uh, I won't say easy, but the application of OKRs is relatively straightforward. Um, yeah. difficult to get completely wrong. Uh, and so what I actually did see in the company is that as it became involved with more products, with, with uh, you know, maps and YouTube and enterprise offerings and email and, and all sorts of other things, that uh, that sort of readily apparent metrics fell away. And I actually yeah. think in my time at the company, they actually didn't do such a wonderful job of grappling with that. And so I think, you know... Mm. And, at all levels, you really need to be considering the principle stays the same, but the way in which you can sort of map your organizational goals to those principles actually does need to be bespoke. And if yeah. you're a big company, I think, you know, the, the lesson there is that can even vary within the organization. 
uh, as to how best to apply them. 100%. So we mentioned, um, again, in the introduction about, you know, the interlink between OKRs and performance management. And, you know, this seems to be a question as, as old as time now. But it's your belief that OKRs are often misused as a performance management tool, right? Yes. And, you know, I think that is where that misunderstanding of OKRs as just being a, a container for KPIs, which are, you know, I guess, you know, in sales organizations, especially, uh, you know, a KPI is something that can be directly linked to your compensation and performance yeah. and things like that. Um, but what I think is that when you, uh, you know, OKRs are not that. OKRs are supposed to be a tool for alignment, for goal setting, for mm. communication, for for clarity. Um, and so I think ultimately, you know, there should be bold statements of intent and aspiration. Um, and I think even more importantly than that, they need to be set and owned by the teams and individuals responsible for achieving them. So, uh, you know, th there's nuance there, obviously, but ultimately, you don't get given your OKRs. OKRs are something that you come up with. And then, mm -hmm. you know, there is the back and forth with, uh, you know, the leadership and making sure there's alignment and that they're ambitious enough, but you don't just get told what your OKRs are in general, is my view. Absolutely. Uh, but so then expecting them to do double duty as a way of measuring an individual's performance actually creates a sort of tangle of perverse incentives that ends up undermining the fundamental purpose of OKRs. And so you get the worst of both worlds, right? Um, so, you know, one thing is, if you're setting your own OKRs and you know your measurement, uh, your performance is going to be measured by them, then you're going to engage in some sandbagging. So, yeah, you know, course. you're not going to want to go out with anything too ambitious. Um, you're also going to engage in risk avoidance, which is a related to sandbagging, but even more pernicious. You know, if, if you're an organization that needs to take some bold risks, calculated risks, that means that you'll set an OKR and the chance of not hitting that OKR is reasonably high, and that's baked into the nature of the work itself. You'll find that people will avoid being involved in those sorts of projects because they know that if the risk doesn't pay off, then they're going to be penalized for that. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, there's also going to be a certain level of shirking where people become a bit more selfish. And I think, you know, when you think about that alignment piece and the fact that OKRs kind of have a, a level of collectivism baked into them, which I think is really important for an organization to stay aligned, then making them performance management tools uh, turns them into something that's very individualized and sort of fights against that. So I think, you know, that obviously when you have something that then that has numbers attached to it, it can be tempting to use it as a performance management tool. Um, and I think certainly when, when I say that they're misused, I certainly think they have their place. There are valuable signals from OKRs that can be applied to performance evaluation and performance management. Uh, mm. So it's not that they should be ignored, but I think uh, quite a lot of intelligence and discretion has to be applied by the manager uh, and needs to sit between any OKR outcomes and how they're interpreted in terms of and applied to an employee for uh, performance management. So I, I do think that along with some of those other OKR principles, it, it really doesn't work well with any sort of management by numbers philosophy, mm -hmm. except in quite particular circumstances. 
Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, we we often say to our clients that OKRs can be used as one of the data sources when you're looking at performance yep. management and appraisals and things like that, but it's not the only one. And it certainly shouldn't be drawn on for a direct correlation. Um, so I think think you've hit the nail on the head there, really, Yanov. Yeah, and and one of the things that, you know, I guess, again, it depends somewhat on an organization's individual circumstances. But, you know, in my business, in the software business, uh, we have a lot of cross-functional teams. So they have yeah. software engineers, product managers, product designers, growth managers, data analysts and, and other roles besides. And for that team to be successful, uh, I believe very strongly the OKRs need to be set by the team and the team needs to be jointly accountable for them. So again, it's a more of a collectivist principle and uh, it's very difficult to uh, map that to an individual's performance directly. So once again, uh, very valuable data source, as as you yeah. point out, but the, the trick is in the interpretation. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Yanov, it's been a, a really great discussion. I've enjoyed it a lot. Um, if we could just end with, you know, a closing piece of advice for the listeners for, um, you know, companies that might be two or three months, I suppose, into their OKR journey or maybe thinking about just kicking off with OKRs. Sure. So I think my, my real key piece of advice is, understand what the journey is that you're going on and understand why you're going on the journey. Mm. So OKRs define an organizing principle. Um, they're not just a new buzzword or a fresh coat of paint on how you already do things. So you really need to learn and understand and be excited by where OKRs can take you as a company uh, when you make the leap. And then, you know, I guess once you're on the journey, realize that there are going to be a few bumps at the beginning uh, as you and I have been discussing, uh, OKRs are a set of principles rather than a framework. And so you can certainly make sure that you're well prepared for OKRs. I understand that's part of what your company helps with. Uh, yeah. But each organization really has to make OKRs their own. And that yeah. takes a certain amount of time. Um, I 100%. think the good news is that the benefits, the benefits do start showing through even before you get really good at them. But there is probably a a bit of a sort of forming, storming sort of thing at the beginning when you're still getting the hang of them. And, you you know, I think I would just give you the encouragement to persist through that because if you stick at it, then pretty soon you'll find that they're actually adding value. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, couldn't have said it any better myself, Yannick. That's a really nice note to end on, I think. Um, you know, there's always Fantastic. value in discussion. So, Fantastic. yeah. Thanks, Lawrence. Thanks, thanks for joining us, Yanov. Really, really interesting. Um, hope you guys enjoyed it, uh, listening to it wherever you are in the world. Um, hope you're keeping safe and well. And we'll speak to you next week for the next episode of Giant Talk. Cheers, everybody. Bye.